but everybody wants to have a beautiful, aesthetically pleasing store because customers expect, nobody wants like a gross HTML looking store to shop on because it doesn't build trust. When your store looks good, it's just automatically more trustworthy. So I think for any niche, it's, it's useful to have beautiful looking product reviews. You're listening to Ecomonics, a Debutify podcast, your resource for one-of-a-kind insights into the world of e-commerce and business in the modern age. This is Joseph. I'll be presenting a wealth of industry knowledge from interviews with successful business people and our own state-of-the-art research. Your time is valuable, so let's go. My guest today, Jamila Jan, is positioned interestingly in that she's both a merchant with her store, Alora, and also works for Farah.ai, an aesthetically driven review platform. It's interesting in the sense that so far, I talked to guests who have one of the two, but not both. Jamila was an absolute joy to talk to, and you can see how quickly her work is an extension of her energy. Jamila Jan, it is so good to have you here on Ecomonics. How are you doing today? How are you feeling? I'm doing great. I'm actually feeling really great too. I actually feel really good. So thank you. <laughs> what about you? How are you feeling? Uh, I feel I feel pretty good. I'm um, I'm not gonna uh, deceive my audience. Um, I I I hadn't had a chance to listen to like if you had done an interview with anything like that, so I didn't know what kind of energy I was gonna get. Um, but you're you're like you're just like a ray of sunshine. It's just like it's actually very infectious to to absorb it. So I I, I feel great just uh, being able to meet and talk to you. Yeah, it's it's been a, it's been a long day. If I if my audience listens to the previous two episodes in order from this one they can probably tell that my voice is drying out because sometimes we do three recordings in a day and it's yeah by by the end of this i might be like full on marlon brando so i just remind myself to have my water you know it's good to have variance in the voice that's good if if i'm lucky i'll get like um a a bubble in the back of my throat and i'll sound like joaquin phoenix from joker so hope it hasn't come up yet but if it does i immediately run to my girlfriend and be like say murray do you want to hear a joke? Guys, I mean, I hope it doesn't get to that, but I do look forward to listening to it if it does. I'll I'll, uh, I'll try to record it, but it is like comes and it goes really fast, so I have to strike with the iron is hot. Anyways, so first uh, first question to get the ball rolling is for you to tell us what you do and what you're up to these days. Yeah, so my name is Jamila, and I am the marketing manager for Farah AI. We help merchants collect product reviews and display them beautifully on their store. So I do that. And then I also have a jewelry company, Allura Boutique, and we help people uh, add meaning and beauty to their lives through jewelry. So that's mostly what I do during the day. That's how I spend my work days. Now that I have to say is a unique array of uh, responsibilities because I will talk to people who are, you know, they're working on their, on their dropshipping stores or their Shopify stores or the e-commerce platforms. Um, and then, and then it's just kind of what they're doing. And then, you know, we also talk to people who run other agencies and other services, and that's what they're doing. But I don't think I can recall off the top of my head talking to somebody who's kind of managing both of those. So that's something that I'm definitely uh, keen on hearing. Um, so we'll, we'll get into kind of like the, the the time management side of it. Okay. Okay. Well, actually, the reason that I got the job at Fair was because I was doing Alora. So, I mean, I can empathize with merchants. Right. Yeah, and, and that helps a lot too. You know, one of the, one of the amazing things that is when I get to meet, um, say one one guy that sticks out was uh, Tyler Jeffcoat. Uh, I love I, uh, that was a great episode. I love it, and recommend anybody who hasn't checked it out yet. But you can just tell how passionate he was about accounting and how passionate he was about the e-commerce space. And it was it was really like I don't want to say demystifying because it was just encouraging to see that 
you know, you have uh, people who they find what they're passionate about and they find a very specific fit for it and, and builds a much more healthier ecosystem. So uh, I didn't see it coming when I got into e-commerce. I, I really didn't. Yeah, well, and I'm sure he's a really happy person that he loves accounting and he like loves e-commerce. Oh, yeah. That's like the best life to live when you love what you do. Yeah, yeah. I, I still I still uh, think back to that particular episode just to, to to see a human being really be in their element and and I'm getting a lot, a lot of the same vibes here as well. So we, we, we can start one or two spots. We can talk about your, your, your business first, or we can talk, we can jump into Farah. But I think we should start with your business first, because as you say, your acquisition of that job was the result of your, of your store. So I know that your beginnings are very well humble. It was you making jewelry with your mother. And I think you guys are just doing it for just you know, really for the fun of it. So how did you two even decide to really start working on this? So, okay. So yeah, as you know, it started as a hobby and like we had a bunch of jewelry and we would start giving it away. And then people would be like, oh, can we buy your jewelry? And we were like, oh my God, I cannot believe people want to give us money. (laughs) So, and my mom was never an entrepreneur. She like works for the government and I was still in university and we're like, oh, okay, I guess we could start selling some of this stuff. So we just kind of grew organically. We started doing markets. And then people like were like, oh, can we carry your stuff in our store? We're like, I guess you can if you want to. So we had no real, real plan for the business. I was taking business in school, but business in school and business in real life are like two totally different things. So that's kind of how we started. And then it just organically grew. I met my partner in university and then he joined the business and we just kind of like failed our way to success. Yeah. I think it's very, very interesting, but it worked. It worked. You know, of everybody that I've talked to who did business in school, if any of our more, uh, we'll say, um, analytical um, or retentive uh, audience members can call me out on this, feel free. I will uh, uh, transfer you money for a slice of pizza, but pretty sure everybody who's been in a business school didn't actually get any real tangible value out of it, especially compared to the actual value of running the business. So were there any like philosophies or principles, fundamentals, pillars, or even something on a more um, granular level um, that stuck out to you when you were, when you were studying business? Um, That's a good question. So also to be fair, like I'm a little bit old. So when we were talking about marketing in, in, in my business school, we were talking about how new Twitter was. Okay. So like, I'm pretty old. (laughs) Hold on a second. Pause here. I'm 31. You're 31? Yeah, I'm 31. Warmer or colder? So am I. I'm 31 too. Oh, wow. How about that? I I think it was 2009. We were talking about Twitter in my marketing class. So it's pretty dated, my education, but I did learn a lot from my professors who were in like the entrepreneurship and innovation classes that I was taking and it's all about like learning and being critical and just trying to apply your knowledge to new things. So it's not like they weren't really teaching us things in those classes. They were teaching us how to think and how to adapt. So I would say that that was like the most useful thing. But some of the other things, like I never use finance and I have an accountant, so I don't do it. <laughs> but just, you know, knowing the basics enough that you can like understand how to get other people to do them is important, I think. Like the foundation. So I'd say that that part is useful. Yeah. And I can understand if 
um, just that, that early on conditioning could potentially have come about if somebody had gone through a different program. But I think at least being in like the business ecosystem with other uh, like-minded people allows the, the student to align themselves more into what they do afterwards, as opposed to learning the same fundamentals, but in an unrelated program, which can have its own advantages too. But I, I, what I can, I can see in this case, it just makes more logical sense to be in the business ecosystem. Right. And that's also because I was going to like the major university in my city, but then there was another university that had just become a university and they had professors that had actually ran their own businesses. And I was like, I'm transferring because there was too much theory at one at that school. And then I went to the other school and I think that was like useful because you want people who are in the ecosystem to be teaching you a few things. Yeah, I mean, not to say that uh, theory isn't isn't relevant because it certainly is, but because because you need both. In my in my opinion, I think the theory should come first. But I can I don't know, man. I I can't I really can't make my mind up on it because I can also see the logic being like going for the practical application and then studying the theory to understand what it is I just did. Right. No, I think I think there's something to that because I even will read physics books sometimes. And then I'll be like, oh, I do understand. I, I do know where that theory came from. Oh, I heard, I did hear about that guy. <laughs> so it is important to know like basics before you start to build on more advanced things or even to try, try. So I will agree with you there. But there is something to be said about just throwing yourself into it and learning as you go, if you have the opportunity and the flexibility to fail. So I think that it depends on where you are in your life. Yeah, that, that that checks out too. People need to get their foundation set in their own in their own life. Uh, although I will I will say so. One of my one of my friends, he, I've worked for him a couple of times um, in the in the wash industry, and he ended up being one of the co-founders for one of the food delivery platforms because there was a big boom for the food delivery. And I remember him telling me that like he was in his apartment and the power just went out and it was freezing, and he's just like, hmm, "What could I do? What can I do right about now? I could kill myself. Yeah, yeah. Why don't I just Why don't I just do that?" And, no, and and at that no. low at that low point, that was when the inspiration to to work on that business had had taken fold. And so there is also some logic to like you know if things are dire, that could lead to uh, inspiration in a way where if like the more comfort somebody might find themselves in, the less of a drive there is. Right. That's fair. That's fair. And I think that's also kind of the beauty of like everybody's separate journey. There are so many things that like drive people to do great things that it's it's kind of beautiful to uncover people's people's stories and their journey so i'm glad that you shared that with me and i guess the listeners too <laughs> for, uh, first time i told that story uh, i haven't brought him on the show yet but technically he would qualify as a guest because of his experience anyways so getting back to your your, your story development um i, I want or yeah your well, store shop uh jewelry business development and i i want to take the take an opportunity to just address how you were able to have the product available in different stores and maybe some of the logistics involved in that. Now, when you say stores have reached out to you, I know that it had having read it, there was about 80, 80 different stores. Now, from my, from my uh, perspective, would it happen to be a mixture of like more like a lot of local shops, uh, say smaller um, uh, family owned ones, um, have any like larger retail chains or even ended up in one of the more um, luxury malls? Like what's been the, 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 the spread for where the product has actually penetrated into the market? Yeah. So when we were starting, it was definitely more local. So I would say like the majority are local and then in Canada. So when we, when we 
started, we had opened up this like retail store and then they were going to demolish the building. And they were like, oh, what should we do? <laughs> we don't have a store anymore. So then we started doing trade shows. So we got, we got people from across, like in our region from trade shows. And then we were like, oh, it looks like people actually, you know, are willing to wholesale. So then we took a road trip with our then, I think she was like nine months old, all the way across Canada. And then we started like selling door to door with stores. And that was my partner's job. He was like really good at that. And then we were like, oh, we're doing really well in Canada. So then we, we decided that we would go to the States. So we went to the States and then we wanted to get into a, a showroom. So we signed up with like a, a showroom and then we did have the opportunity to go into Nordstrom, but we personally felt like it wasn't going to be good for our business because we just didn't have the logistics in place. We didn't have all of like, we didn't have all the things that you needed in order to be in those uh, retail stores. And it just, we thought at the time that it wasn't going to be good for our business. So we decided to take a step back and we mostly focused on stores that were doing between like 700,000 and $2 million a year that were more independently owned. So that's kind of where we decided our, who want to support like local businesses. So that's kind of where our, our spread is. Yeah. Well, it, I, I have to admit, it's impressive to hear the, between what 500,000 to, to $2 million in sales for, for a year. I myself, I don't really, I never really had like a good grip on just what kind of revenue that uh, smaller businesses uh, could pull in. So that's, that's actually impressive, I got to say. Yeah, South Stars, like they do really well when they're in like the trendier areas right. of like city and they have they have like a really good niche. They do really well. So when you say the, the logistics weren't uh, weren't there for um, being sold into Nordstrom, I mean, when I hear logistics, I think like shipping, packaging, um, just meeting demand. So was it a matter of because I know it's it's all like it's all handmade. Is it still handmade to this day? So my mom will make the bracelets. But now so I can go through the backstory. But now we do my mom will make the bracelets and we'll make some of the necklaces. And then we do drop shipping from the States or other suppliers in Canada. Because we ran, so first of all, we ran into some issues with our suppliers because we would do a lot of recycled brass and like our recycled brass supplier was not reliable. <laughs> so like it was okay when we were just like doing it for ourselves. But then when you want to start scaling, you're like, I cannot deal with like these supply issues. It's just going to ruin our business because wholesalers will make an order and they expect to get it within a certain delivery time. And then we have to make it. And then we have to wait for a supplier. So the lead time is so long. And I'm like, this is bullshit. <laughs> We're not doing this anymore. So there was that issue. And then there was also like, you know, the barcoding. We had different SKUs. So like every different pair of earrings with a different recycled uh, brass component would have to have like a different SKU. And we needed barcodes for that and all that other kind of stuff. So most of our issues came from our supply chain. So now we only do gemstone bracelets handmade because they're easy for us to make. The supply chain is like super solid and my mom really likes making them. So, and then also like, I found that it wasn't even worth my time to make jewelry. So I was like, I was like, I could be making so much more money and like doing more things, <laughs> like working on the business instead of in it. So we do have like, we had two part-time employees and we still have one who will make custom orders. But it's just honestly, at a certain point, it was about, do we want the headache? And like, what do we want this business to bring into our lives? So yeah, <laughs> that's kind of where we went. Yeah. And when I when I hear the term boutique, what I imagine from a, a cost benefit analysis perspective is 
Boutique is a way of saying that we as a business choose to uh, limit quantity in the interest of maximizing quality. And so it creates more of a demand um, that there is always going to be more demand than there is going to be supply. So that's kind of like how I, how, I, how I viewed Boutique. But then I looked at the prices online and the prices are actually, you know, quite reasonable. So it's not like you're, you're selling these things for $200, $300, $39, $49. And so I guess in, in, in your view, like when you uh, refer to it as, a, as Boutique, what is the definition of it? Like what is exactly quantifies it as a boutique is it just because it sells jewelry because if so i gotta talk to eb games and be like they're called echelonics boutique but they sell video games so i'm just i don't know i don't know what to, uh, what is a boutique even so to be fair we did from a lot of so allure boutique when we had our store downtown in calgary we didn't only sell jewelry we sold a lot of different things like we sold um dresses we sold cosmetics we sold like it was like a store it was like a lifestyle store so that's kind of where we started and then the reason that we moved to jewelry, again, these were like a bunch of learning experiences because we used to sell like baskets and then the shipping cost was so high. And we we're like, we're not, we're not doing this anymore. So we're like, oh, the jewelry is really easy to make. It's really easy to ship and store. And, and then that's kind of why we like moved into jewelry. We started to niche down. So we boutique started because we were selling a lot of product categories. Okay. Okay. I, 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 I get that. I just, I don't talk about that word too often. So, so you, you did mention, um, you touched on it for a second there, that part of uh, the backstory was like how, how your mother was, was working on it. Was there something there that you wanted to expand on for us? Or would you say that was the full scope of the story? Well, the other part was, okay. So my partner who's also my kid's dad. He was like, you know, I think I'm going to move to San Francisco and start a tech company. And I was like, Okay, that sounds good. <laughs> he like his brother had passed away from heart disease, so he wanted to start a company to kind of like prevent other people from suffering that same loss. But like this is a good idea, you should go down. And he got accepted into Y Combinator too, which is like a, I think a pretty big deal. So like, okay, that sounds like a plan. And he was the sales guy and he did like all the wholesale. And for me, I do not want to deal with accounts receivable. I don't want to follow up with people. I don't want to sell anybody anything. So I was like, okay, we're taking the business online. So that's why we do also drop shipping too. So that's that's kind of another reason why we have the handmade stuff that's just from my mom and then the drop shipping stuff because we were forced to change the business model because I don't want to do sales stuff. And I don't want to manage people either. So I've managed people before. And I don't like it. <laughs> so, yeah, yeah, it can it, it can feel a bit odd to like give, give people orders or to delegate and stuff like that. I, I I admit I'm multi I'm the multimedia manager at uh, at our company, and it's taking some getting used to 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 like to delegate tasks out. And it really just comes from the fact that there's so much to do, and and I just can't and I just do not have the time or energy or wherewithal to do all of it. So. You know, some of it just has to has to go to the producer, who, by the way, thank you, Micah. You're doing amazing. Keep it up. The next part of this is actually actually before 
I, I was about to ask you how uh, this then connected to your work with Fira, and then we'll get into that. We'll get into the review side of it, which is something that we really want to sink our teeth into. But I want to stop on one other thing first, which was getting a dropshipping supplier in the States. So I think you had a lot of um, a lot of leverage going in. So I imagine it was above average in terms of the ease of getting somebody willing to work. Like There was already a store. Uh, there was already a product. There was a proven business model there. Um, so I would like to hear about, you know, how you found suppliers in the States and, you know, what, uh, what it took to kind of get them to work with you. So I cannot take any credit for the U.S. dropshippers. That is, I got them all on Modalist. So thanks, Modalist. <laughs> That's a plug for them. They're, they're useful. And then, like, also, I will find people through craft markets who want, just in Calgary, who want to um, dropship it, too. So, modalist and then just personal local connections. Okay, I should. Uh, uh, to be, I haven't heard of that one before. So, M O D A L I S T. That one. L Y S T, I believe. L Y S T, of course. Yeah. Yes. Silly me. <laughs> okay, no worries. So uh, we're we're at the point now. So you are. Um, it was you were contacted by Farah.ai to uh, to want to work with them. No. So okay, what happened was I think they have like a. So when my partner moved to San Francisco. I, where are you again? I'm in Toronto, Canada. Oh, you're in Toronto. Okay. So I don't know if you know how expensive San Francisco is. I, I hear stories um, of just how, you know, the developers, some of them end up living in a house with like three, four or five other people just because it's so expensive yeah. to live down there. That's exactly what he's doing. And then he would be like, oh, I rent a room. And it's like, it was like as much as our housing expenses for like, we have like a three bedroom house. And I'm like, I cannot believe that you're doing that. So anyway, so I'm like, I was like, oh, I should probably like do some like consulting work or something. So I started, I applied for some consulting jobs and then I started consulting for Farah. And then they were like, oh, we like you. Would you like a full-time job? And I was like, yeah, okay. That's a, that sounds good. So that's kind of where that started. So I saw, I was like, oh, I'm super qualified for this because they specifically said that they wanted people who can empathize with other merchants or had a Shopify store. I'm like, oh, I don't have a Shopify store. So that's, uh, that's kind of how. Right. Yeah. I can empathize with myself. No problem. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. I know what merchants now, is your Sorry. Are. Just uh, one thing I'm wondering, is your partner still, in, uh, still there to this day or did he, uh, yeah, okay. he's still in San Francisco. So he's, uh, he's still working on, he got some funding and he's like still working on, on making the product better for his users and onboarding you along with other kind of stuff that you do with a startup. So he is still there. Okay. Right on. Well, you know, I, I, I wouldn't mind maybe at some point down the line, not today, although that would be hilarious. We just call him, but like, you know, so we can, we can bring him on to uh, as well, talk about uh, his product and uh, yeah. we, we'll have you, we'll have you present too, just because uh, your, your presence alone, I think is, uh, is worthy of the, the admission. So there's that. So tell me, uh, tell us about fair.ai. And one thing I just want to keep in mind for our listeners is that a lot of our audience, I think at the very least, like they've heard of other apps, maybe even tried them out. We have Judge Me, we have Looks, we have other ones. I can't have on top of my head. Um, so coming into us, what was um, Fira's, I guess, uh, positional strategy to um, what, what problems in the market were they finding going unsolved, even with the other apps already on the market? Right. So I would say, at least from my perspective as a merchant, and I think that the other people, they have good solutions and obviously they're doing very well, 
But from my personal perspective, the biggest differentiator between us and the other ones is that the reviews are first of all easy to get and they look good. So for example, on my store, like I tried some of the other apps and I was like, ew, this is like ugly. I don't want this on my store because I'm more focused on like the aesthetic, right? I'm selling the lifestyle and the dream. And like, I don't want grids on my store. I don't think that looks nice. So that's one of our biggest differentiators that you can like display reviews beautifully. And then of course we feature match with everything else. Like you can request reviews really easily. We get a lot of content submissions from merchants customers. Um, we also have really great support. So like if you look at our Shopify reviews, you'll see we have 4.9 stars and we have like over 3000 reviews. And a lot of them will mention our customer service because it's freaking awesome. So, <laughs> and then, you know, we have like the free plan that we do to onboard users so that they can test out our product and see for themselves. But like, I would say that the thing that separates us again the most is that our reviews are beautiful. Our UI is great. We've had great designers work on it. We have awesome engineers. So like things are easy to use, especially for like people who are just starting stores and they're not technical. It's just easy to install. You click it, you install it, you throw up your review widget and call it a day. So it's, it's pretty awesome from a merchant perspective. So one thing that I that I, that I hear about it in regards to uh, it visually is that I, I suspect that different niches would appreciate that to varying degrees. So in fashion, uh, in jewelry, um, and in, in a lot of uh, areas where aesthetics are, are key, because it's it's an aesthetic-based industry. Um, uh, it's a pharaoh would be a slam dunk. Um, so I, this might be something that you can actually unearth based on what differentiation of your of the users. So, for instance, if it's like a lot of people in say like the, the jewelry niche using it, that might be a sign as to like what niches are taken to it, which ones aren't taken to it. So um, there's, there's there's a few uh, questions in there. One of them is like, have you seen, for instance, different um, niches? disproportionately uh, use it. Some use it a lot, some not so much. Um, have Has the business itself considered that it might appeal more to certain niches because it, uh, because it values um, uh, aesthetics? That's a really good question. And what I can say is that before, so we used to be focused just on like social proof and we did have a lot of like just drop shipping stores using our products. And then I looked at our analytics from last year to this year and we used to have like 68% males using our product. And now it's like almost, it's like a pretty even split, which is like normal considering the demographic, but like the shift and the shift from male to a even female split is pretty remarkable. And the other thing is like when I do audit, if audits for our stores, like conversion rate audits, it is a lot of like lifestyle-based stores. But on the other hand, the reason we, we have a lot of stores that do things like, like people who sell like guns and like industrial products and like have really um, high revenue stores. Because the other nice thing about Farah is that we have a lot of customization and like developers can really get in and use our platform to do anything that they want. So like on the one hand, with our new reviews being beautiful, we do have a lot more lifestyle stores. But on the other hand, we have a lot of like high um, revenue stores that are like very, that have a, a big development team that use our platform to do a lot of customization. So we kind of have, the, we, now we have like two separate, <laughs> two separate types of customers. People who love our product because it's easy to customize and he, people who love our product because it's beautiful. Yeah, and you know, just um, touching very briefly on 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 the guns for a second, there is that although guns are 
I mean, it's a functional thing. Gun culture appreciates the aesthetics of them too. Like you know, if people are into guns, like they, they, they can, they can have an attractive appeal to them. So that's true. That's true. I have looked at some of their Instagram pages. Cause I'm like, oh my God. I'll do honest. I'll be like, how are these, these people? Cause as you know, in Canada, like gun culture is not a thing. No, no, we don't have, so we don't I, have like, a gun culture here. No. Yeah, exactly. So like, like, if, you, oh, so if you're a part of a, if you want to get involved in a gang, I believe even gangs will run background checks on you. Like you have to go get, get to photo shoot. Uh, you have to have three referrals. Like, yeah, yeah. He's a, he's a straight G. He's good. Exactly. He's straight. He's straight. <laughs> That's funny. But yeah, but everybody wants to have a beautiful, aesthetically pleasing store because customers expect, nobody wants like a gross HTML looking store to shop on because it doesn't build trust. When your store looks good, it's just automatically more trustworthy. So I think for any niche, it's it's useful to have beautiful looking product reviews. Yeah, I, I, I and I think that's true pretty much across every every niche, and even for the creator too, right? To be able to look at their own store because what we do is an extension of who we are. So whether exactly. it's putting up books on a shelf, the books we put up are, an, are a reflection of the self. So when we create a store, the store is a reflection of the self. And we, if, if, if somebody makes something and they don't care how it looks and it's messy and there's like HTML code, like bleeding off the sides, that's not a good reflection of the person, even if their product happens to be pretty good. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. It's yes, it's very true. It's easier. It's easier to sell like cheap product on a beautiful store than it is to sell nice products on an ugly store. That's a great way of putting it. <laughs> I'm sorry, was there another question in the previous statement? Because I think I only might have asked but I, don't I think you, you you summarize it pretty well. If I if it comes back to me, um, it was fate, and if not, it was also fate. Now, when one of the things that um, I I had seen, and you'll have to forgive me, I can't remember if this is something that you put in when you uh, filled out the form for this, or if this was something I found on my own. But it was the idea of like trust signals. Yeah. Now I probably heard that term by now, but I can't recall hearing it. So. Um, what exactly is a trust signal and, you know, how, how does a website, um, I mean, does a website use them? Is it the user thing? I, I really, I don't know what this, what this word means. So, uh, let me have it. Yeah. I'm glad you asked. Okay. I'm so glad you asked because trust signals, they don't even have to like do with, there are so many things that don't even have to do with like product reviews that are included in trust signals. So like the one thing that we just talked about is design, right? Um, the other thing is, do you have an about us page? Do you have contact information? If I go to your site, can I trust you that like I buy your thing and like you're a legitimate business instead of some web page on the internet? Uh, other things, normal things are like spelling and grammar. Like if you have a bunch of gr- grammatical mistakes, can I trust you? Are you like legitimate? Um, other things are like those, the checkout um, buttons, the ones that just show all the payments that you can make. And then obviously there's social proof like product reviews how many people have purchased something in the past. Um, Those are the main things that are trust signals. So like the more trust signals you have, the easier it is for somebody to be like, oh, I think I can give this person my money. And it's never like, people aren't like looking for these things. They're not like, they're not like, oh, do they have this? Check, check, check. They'll go through your site and they'll be like, oh, this is kind of weird. Oh, they don't have this. Oh, this kind of looks off. And then they're like, ah, I'm not going to buy from these people. So those are like, really important things that you have to pay attention to when you have a website otherwise people just aren't going to buy from you yeah and 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 i think the same is true as well even just if going to a mall in person and just identifying which are the stores where like 
you know, I, uh, my heart goes out to anybody who's, who's, who's struggling in their business, but you have people who are like standing outside and they're like, they're just like nervously rubbing their hands together because they really need people to come in their store. And they didn't really think too carefully about location because they're competing with like six other stores. And, and yeah, and they, and, or like the stores that just have rats. It's true. It's true. You're right. You're right. I totally agree. I totally agree. Or like those, like, like, yeah, especially in those old, I don't know what kind of, like, you know, those tier, I don't know what they call them, but like class B malls or something. And they have like, yeah, I think that's what they're called. And like, you'll see these stores and all they have are just like tables with stacks of like clothes on them. And like, they don't have any decor and they have really bad lighting and it's like dark and you're like, are they open or are they closed? It's like weird. Like, I'm not going in there. So like little things like that. Yeah. Or like... Uh, I guess here, here in Toronto, we do have a, a mall that I don't, I don't know if it counts as class B. It might be considered as class A, depending on, I don't know, your, your, your perspective. It's, it's interesting. I never really thought about that before, but like here where I live in specific, we have a triple A mall nearby, which is Yorkdale mall. It's, it's, it's renowned. And, and then, but we also have some other malls. I don't want to call them out by name. Cause that's not nice, but like, there are some ones that, uh, uh raise a lot of eyebrows. Some of them are so abysmal it's actually fun to visit just because you see like floor tiles from the 1970s and there's and there's businesses that are still that this has been in operation the entire time like like you just like this 80 year old um i don't know like lebanese woman she just comes into her lemonade stand every day and just makes lemonade and she's been doing fine all this time like it is i i, I would love to check out like the class d or the class e malls because they are so like out of sync with the reality that it actually is like stepping back into like 1970s. Like it's, it's, it's like a nostalgia trip. Yeah. Like they, they, they got a Zellers and they actually have the breakfast, the, the restaurant in the Zellers is still open. Okay. That's awesome. I feel like that's worth a visit. That's so good. Do they only take cash too? I like the places <laughs> that only take uh, I mean, I just, just so you know, I'm hypothesizing, but I think there is one still around. Um, I, I would, ha- I, it's been a while since I looked into it. So I, I don't want, I don't want to mislead you and make you think that this is still in existence, but I will say that if there, if it is still around, they probably take credit cards the old fashioned way where they have like the swipe machine and they go, Shook. yeah. Awesome. Okay. If I ever come to Toronto after everything's not the way it is, then I'm going to search for that place. I'll hit you up. Well, I, I, I'll, I'll look at it online. Cause I remember seeing um, a blog post about like the most depressing malls in Toronto that you must visit. So I'll, I'll see if it's still around. I have, <laughs> for some reason, I'm thinking that of all the malls, these ones are going to survive COVID for some reason, because all the people on the inside have no idea it's even happening. <laughs> oh my gosh. Their clocks are still set to 2015. That's who they are. I don't like the look of those kids. And what have they got there? Tamagotchis? <laughs> oh i checked out the neopets i know this is off, off topic but i looked at the neopets website like mid last year because i'm like i want my kids to play neopets and it was still like the nice well not nice but it was like still the html like old school site that i remember playing when i was like 11 and then i went back the other day and it's all updated and they have these updated characters and i'm not vibing with it at all it like hurts me that it's it's updated. It's, it kind of feels like a betrayal of my past. Would it bother you if I, because I've never done this before, uh, but now that we're on video, would it bother you if I screen shared for a second and just pull up Neopets real quick? Yeah. Okay. <laughs> yes. We're, 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 we're video show now, so I'm going to take uh, advantage of this. 
please do. Because by the by the way, by the way, I like one of our one of the instructions earlier, one of our strategies, you know, we eventually want me to be like the Joe Rogan of the e-commerce podcast. And so I have to do this if you're really I believe in you. Okay. So yeah. you can see my screen? Yes, I can see it. Okay, so this is the Neopets. So just just so our audience under, understands, you know, every, every episode of Ecomonics, we like to mix things up. We want to reward people for listening episode after episode. Makes things fun. So I I I was not into Neopets. I was not a Neopet uh, fan at the time. But I see where you're coming from. It has that new, like, Nickelodeon teenage angst appeal to it. Like those fairies. I'm not loving it. I'm not loving it. Can you Google what the Neopets website used to look like? Because it was only in the last like eight months that they've updated this. Okay, site. I'll try. There has to be like a cat version or something. Yeah. <laughs> uh, best thing I can do is just try to find the images for it. Yeah, images. Oh, oh there is Neopets Classic. Oh no, I lost it. See, I, I'm so impatient. My friends had a little song. We said Neopets, Neopets makes you addicted to the internet. That was like our jingle. <laughs> All right, uh, is this it? Yeah, yeah. That's what oh, this is so much more wholesome. It's like, you know what it reminds me of? It reminds me of those educational games that you would play where you go like Sammy's Science House and Millie's Math House. And like you learn and have fun at the same time. I love it. That's like what I want. That's what I want from Neopets because I want to put my kids on Neopets. But I can't with this new website. It's just unacceptable. No, I I, I get it. Because it's not just about like, you know, um, uh, going to war with the flow of time or anything like that. It's also just about what kind of tone that it creates to the uh, to the to the uh, to the fan and what and by doing so, who who it attracts. Now, I think Neopets Classic is still around. So it looks like you still have like a classic take on it. Yes, that's what I want to see. That was fun. Uh, by the way, can Neopets fight each other? Or is it just like a conscientious subjector version of Pokemon? I think you can play other players on certain um, games, but like basically just keep your Neopet alive and like buy stuff for your pet. Okay. <laughs> it's like an upgraded counter. All right. I have no idea how we got to that point, but that was fun. By the way, if you're a current user of Debutify or haven't tried us out yet, Debutify version 3 has been released and now is a good time to upgrade or get started as any. A streamlined user interface along with an ever-increasing array of conversion-boosting add-ons is waiting for you. So download today for free and start your journey. Who knows? Maybe I'll be interviewing you before too long. Alright, so we're, we're, we're gonna get back on track here, uh, although that was a blast. So, and, and by the way guys, precursor for what's gonna happen down the line, because remember my orders were to like try to be like the Joe Rogan show. So what do you think is going to happen, people, when we end up doing like three hour long episodes? That stuff is going to happen. All right, foreshadowing over. So th there was another term that I was curious about. Um, it was called uh, customer journey mapping. So I know what a customer journey is, but I don't know, like, is it trying to understand the journey, the customer going through the funnel? Is it a uh, understanding well, what point in their life that they're at in order for them to be a customer of the store? So that's my guess on it, but I'd love to hear what customer journey mapping really is. Okay, so in the context of like in general, customer journey mapping is basically when you say, okay, this person, this is my ideal target market, and this is their flow going towards what you want, which is to buy. But it doesn't stop at purchase. It's also like what happens post-purchase. So like basically all the touch points that your customer has with your brand is the customer journey. 
But at Farah, we only focus on what happens on your website. So we'll show you things like where customers click, what kind of um, widgets they interacted with with Farah, and we'll give you um, an overview as to the likelihood for other people to buy based on what your past customers have done. So basically what you can do is you can go in, you can say, okay, let me look through the customer journeys for people who have bought. Let me see the kind of flow that they went through. And then, um, and then you see that they check out and then you can compare that to people who didn't buy. So you can be like, okay, this is what I know like normal people do. This is where people are falling off. So you can say, oh, they exited from this page or, oh, they clicked on this and then they left. And then you can go to that place and be like, oh, that's because, um, you know, something's broken or my pictures are ugly or this doesn't have my product description or something like that. But for me personally, what I use the customer journey for was I noticed that the majority of my people were checking out my about us page. So I was like, oh, people are really interested in this about us page. Like, how can we make it better? How can we make it more about like who we are, kind of our journey, what kind of problem we solve for people. So then I improved my about us page just by looking at the customer journey. And then there are like a bunch of other tools that you can use in tandem with Vera. Like you can use heat maps. So like Lucky Orange or like Hotjar or anything like that, which are super useful for mapping your customer journey on your website. But just having kind of a visual on what people are doing on your site is like really useful for improving your site experience and improving your yeah, well, I, I don't know if um, if we can go so far as to like, can you tell, say, based on IP address or anything like that, like whom it actually was? Like if you wanted to be so uh, specific to actually figure out like, what, what is this person? Because if you know who it, who it is, that can dictate a lot about their behavior at that point. So you can't tell like specifically who this person is unless they were already a customer on your site. And like you have that information, but we're not like out there like Google and Facebook. Right. <laughs> steal people's information. But you can tell like what device they're on, what country they're coming from, their city, um, the type of browser that they're using. So you can have that kind of information, but you can't like, you can't know exactly who they are. But like if you have enough data, it gives you a good picture of the type of people who are using your site or the cities that they come from or like the countries that you have to focus on, right? So, but we're not gonna, we, we're not gonna, even if we did know exactly who it was, we wouldn't tell you exactly who it was. Yeah, I I, I probably went uh, uh, too, too specific with that question. It was more about just like how much ability gives you to infer the behavior because like somebody might get to the About Us page but without knowing anything else about them, there's like a hundred different reasons why they might leave. They might. Right. No, that's true. Yeah. And that's why you have to, you would have to use uh, the customer journey that we provide with like something else. Right. And you have to, you have to put together a bunch of different pieces in order to understand um, why this person did that. So for example, you can say, okay, this person came in through search or this person came in through Facebook. And then if you start to see a pattern, you're like, oh, most of these people are coming through ads. Maybe I'm not targeting and they're leaving after this page. Maybe I'm not targeting the right person. But like you have to be in a space where you're willing to like put all the data pieces together and then come up with like an inference. And then you test, right? Because like you might be wrong, but then you can use like A-B testing and you can say, okay, I'm going to change this. And then does it improve customer retention? Or does it improve, uh, does it decrease the bounce rate? And then you see what the what the final outcome is, and then you just move from there. That's what like that's what life is. You just 
or like, let me try this. If it works, I do it. And if it doesn't work, I'll just find something else to do. It's the same on your side. Yeah. It's great too, because uh, I, I, to, to be fair, I, it's not like I've interviewed somebody from looks or interviewed somebody from judge.me or at least, you know, not yet. But one thing I, I guess I didn't really realize is that, um, May, the the limitations of the of different software might be all they do is just the reviews, whereas what you're really going for here is a way to also cover some other bases and and help the uh, almost like almost what you're doing is like the reviews are a success metric. There's work that has to be involved both with the store, um, with the seller to make people happy, make them want to actually provide the review. So you use. You, those reviews are a way of um, indicating how well things are going, which, you know, the reviews are always like that too, but I'll wrap this with another question. Now this one, uh, I don't want to call out another one of the apps by name, but there is such a thing as like going onto AliExpress and importing reviews, put them onto the website. Me, I've done that because, you know, I just, if I, if I have an advantage to take, I will take it. And then you end up curing through like which ones are in Russian, which ones are in English, but which ones are like in good English. And me, you know, on a, on a personal level, I was like, well, I would rather have like, you know, reviews written uh, organically, but we'll get to that point. So all of that aside, I'm sorry if this is like a, a kind of a dumb question, but is there import reviewing or review importing? So you can import reviews from your other platforms. So if you're already on um, another review platform, you can easily import them. You can re uh, import reviews from CSV. However, the difference is that if your reviews are not verified, we will not say that they're verified on uh, the platform. So we only put verified by Farah on reviews that we verify are by real people and real purchases from your store. So you can, you can import whatever you want to your store. You can put whatever you want on your store. But if you want to have, again, those trust signals, then the ones that are verified by Farah are going to be a lot more powerful than the ones that are just like, they're just up there, right? Because like anybody can put reviews on their store. Anybody can like put social proof on their store. So that's why we want to make sure that we're doing right by the end user and our merchants who do get reviews organically by saying these are verified purchases, just like on, on Amazon. So, I mean, yeah, there's nothing stopping you from putting whatever you want on your site. But yeah, so you can import whatever you want. We just won't verify it. Right. So that's, 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 that's a good way of, uh, uh, finding the balance between letting people, but also like saying, Hey, hold on a second. We didn't, we didn't say that we just, you know, okay. I get it. How did I manage to drop the next one? Okay. So anyway, so let's, so let's rewind for a second here. And also, uh, just talk about some of the struggles for businesses who let's just say, you know, they're not importing reviews and they're not paying uh, somebody on Fiverr to write a review. Um, though that first, uh, acquisition of trust is really difficult. Um, so far be it from any one person to know the secret to it, but I'm asking you because you've seen a lot of activity from other merchants. So have you seen uh, what people have been able to do to start getting some of those initial sales, even if their websites don't have, uh, that level of social proof? Um, and then, you know, you can also uh, expand on it by also talking about like some of the different methods to then get the social proof from the, from the user. So some of the ways that you can add social proof that aren't particularly reviews is you can use social proof pop-ups that talk about kind of the traffic that you've had to your store, right? So maybe you don't have a lot of sales, but you have like a lot of people 
who have come to your store, maybe they've added something to their cart, you can definitely say like so-and-so from Texas just added this to their cart or like so-and-so just viewed this product or there are like 10 people viewing this product. That's still um, authentic social proof that shows that like you are an active store. So that's something that you can add, which like you can do through Vera. And then the other thing that you can do if you like are like, okay, you know, like I've had some sales, nobody sent in a review. When you're just starting, there's nothing wrong with reaching out to people and be like, hey, I like you bought this. Could you leave me a review? Like most of the time, if you ask somebody, they'll be like, yeah, sure. Right. So asking your first initial customers for reviews is another way to do things. And then what you could also do is you could send products to people and you could say, hey, I just launched my store. Like people who you know are are like you're solving a problem for them and they wouldn't want this product. You can look for people on Instagram. You can look at your friends and family. You can say, hey, I have this product. Um, if you like it, please leave me a review. Like people are willing to help other people out. So like it's just, are you willing to ask? Are you willing to do the work? So <laughs> that's like for the initial part. And then if you have like a few sales, let's say you're, I don't know, you have like 50 sales a month or something. With Vera, you can just set up an ongoing campaign and you can perpetually ask people for reviews. And it's like a super simple process. Um, or you can ask your past customers through Vera too. But if you are new, I would recommend sending a personal email with a link directly to the product. That's what I would recommend. You can set up a, a one-time campaign if you want, but it's better if it's like personal and it comes to at, in the beginning and then you won't have time for that once your business grows <laughs> you can automate it but yeah that's that's my advice as it should be as it should be automated okay a couple, couple of other things i wanted to know about the uh, about the software um so this one i saw from the company description pretty sure from twitter might have been from the website directly in fact now that i said it out loud pretty sure it was the website directly uh which is urgency optimization i mean i know what optimization is i know what urgency is but what I'm not clear on is how this is something that's actionable and really what the, how, what the term means altogether in this context. So going back to kind of, Vera is a lot different than other review platforms in that we do have a lot of functionality. So one of them is um, urgency optimization, which you just talked about, which is like things like um, checkout timers, saying like your cart will expire in 10 minutes, um, having free shipping bars, um, having product countdown timers, those kinds of things. Um, and then the way that we optimize it is that in Farah, the reason why Farah is so awesome, honestly, is because you can set up so many different conditions and triggers. So you can be like, only show this if this person has a cart total over $100. Only do this if the person is in this area. Only do this if like this person has this particular item in their cart. So like you can optimize based on like we were talking about before your customer journey. If you know people who like have four items in their cart are more likely to buy if you show them a certain message, then you optimize for that. So that's why you can, you can honestly, you can do so much. You can do so much. And like, that's why developers love us because you can do anything you want in our platform. So that's what we mean by that. Well, I, I gotta say, like, I keep in mind, I, uh, I interview for the last few months, it's been like four people per week. So I have the luxury getting in a lot of like incoming information. It's a lot to absorb. But I, I will say that I'm going to try this this uh, software out for myself, too. I got my store. I've got so I and, and, and that's kind of the fun thing for me is that like I do get to kind of like pick and choose um, uh, who I 
uh, I want to support. Not that I have like that much weight. You know, I do host this podcast, but I only value you my weight based on my cloud. <laughs> yeah, like the, I got the podcast clout, but the weight that I that I value is like you know sales, tangible sales, and all, all that stuff. So we'll, we'll we'll get there. But yeah, I'm 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 keen on trying it out too. So like with the free version. I, is it is it like a, a limited day trial or it, what would what would be the t- the ideal time to then move on to um, the uh, the premium plans? Right. So the, with the free trial, the limitation on the free trial is that you can only add one widget. So if you are like just starting out, you might want to just do like a social proof feed or a social proof pop up, and then as you start making sales, you can upgrade if you want to. So there's like no limitation on time of the free plan. You can do four, you can do 14 day trials on the paid plan if you want, but like you can use the free plan forever. So it's 14 day trials on the on the um, paid plan. But then uh, we have like a few, like if you wanted to upgrade, if you want to talk to me, you can let me know. I can give you a year or something like that. So let me know. Um, but yeah, there's no limitation except for the one widget on the free plan. And then the number of um, review requests that you can get. So typically, like if you're on the $9 a month plan, you can get a certain amount of like review submissions. But most people aren't making, they, they don't have more than like 100 or 200 sales a month, like on that tier. So that's kind of the, the limitations for review um, content submissions. But nobody ever goes past it. Yeah, and nine dollars yeah. isn't isn't that much either. It's it, no, yeah, no, it's not. I could spend like nine. I could spend a lot more than nine dollars when I go through Starbucks. <laughs> so it's, it's fine. Yeah, yeah. It's there's fine. A, there's a, I, I I sympathize. There's a Starbucks near, a little too near uh, where I live, walking distance. Ugh. Um, okay, I had one more uh, fear related question, which is this is one that I pulled from the Twitter, which is about the negative social proof. I can, I can, uh, I can only guess what negative social proof might be. So uh, let us know, you know, what do you, what does your company characterize it as? And then what are some methods that uh, you've devised to address and hopefully turn it into a positive? Yeah. So negative social proof is any kind of behavior that people do that you don't want them to do. So I'll give like a real world example first. So like um, Texas, they tried to implement this campaign so people didn't litter. And it was, they had a sign that was like, oh, like don't litter, 7 million people didn't litter or something like that. But that increased the amount of litter that was happening because they like, because it was like a negative behavior that they showed people and they're like, oh, well, I guess it's like all these other people are doing it then I could do it too, right? <laughs> so that's negative social proof. And you don't want that on your site because you don't want people to take actions that you don't want so one example of that is like when you have on your store like there are no reviews on this on this product it's like oh well there are no reviews like is it even like why why are there no reviews like should i even buy this this is weird (laughs) so with Sarah, you can either show reviews from similar products or you can hide zero reviews when there aren't so that's one way to avoid negative social proof or like the other thing is with um, the people watching. So like we have these this widget that's like shopper events where you can show how many people are watching or how many people added to cart. You can set like a, a limit. So you can say, instead of being like one person is doing this, which is like, oh, ew, only one person is doing this product. You can say like only show if more than five people are viewing it to make to make it show that people are actually looking at your product. So we help you avoid negative social proof in those contexts. 
would it be possible to say set the uh, time parameter? So if like this many people looked at it within the span of an hour or within the span of a day? Yeah, yeah, you okay. can do that too. And honestly, anything that you feel like you want to do, you can do it. Okay. <laughs> Except for the fact that we have a, a limit on the look back period. So you can't say like, look back a year, like that's, we're not, because that's not relevant data for your shopper, right? So we have a limit on the amount of time that you can look back, but you can say an hour, you can say a day, you can say a couple of weeks. So like, if you're a new store and you don't have a lot of traffic, you could say like, look back two weeks, right? Cause it's like, if you're new, that's still pretty recent data, but like, you're not going to be able to say, look back six months. Like we, we don't allow that. Okay. Yeah. That's, that's, that's quite a while. So that, yeah, that exactly. that's perfectly logical. <laughs> exactly. Cool. Well, um, we're we're pretty much uh, close to the the hour point. Uh, I got to say, this is this has just been an app a lot of fun. One of the things I did want to ask you, like, you know, about um, some of the speaking arrangements that you had done, because um, I just wasn't sure, like, you know, how how you got involved in them and uh, why people reached out to you. And then I met you, and I'm like, okay, now I understand why people get her to do speaking arrangements. It makes perfect sense. Hey, that makes me feel so good. I appreciate that. But, but I'm, I'm uh, happy to do that. And also, um, I may at one point have been multitasking while we were talking, and I found the mall that I was picturing in my mind. So I'm going to share sure? screen this. Yeah, yeah, I, uh, I want you to see this. It was called, it's, it, it, it's only being used now to, to film Stranger Things. It's oh. called Honeydale. Oh. Nice. What? I, okay, that tile is like the tile at the Dairy Queen and like in the neighborhood over for me, which is like so ghetto. It was the same when I was like 10. I love it. I love it so much. Yeah, here's another shot. Oh this is this is all I can find because I don't have my own personal Jamie, at least not yet. Uh, wow. And yeah, it's just like just just the the signage takes me back to a simpler time, you know, back when like you can go to a fair and just like there were there were games you can play where you just shoot things and it's just like, ugh. okay, I I I would I would love to I re I truly truly would love to visit a mall like this, but it is. It's super closed. closed yeah like it's it's probably like a health risk to have it open at this point but. <laughs> oh my god you know there's probably asbestos or something in there honestly so yeah know. yeah whole whole whole, whole, whole impacted a whole generation you know really reflected well in the music all right so that uh is all we're we're, we're gonna do today um jamila it's been a blast and uh we'd be happy to have you back what i said earlier you know uh bring your partner on uh have a uh that would that would be a lot of fun um, and, and the door is open. So whatever you have in mind, if you want to come back in a couple of quarters and just let us know how things are going with the business as well, whatever the case is, it, I would be more than happy to, to continue on with this conversation. Cool. This was good. I'm going to find you on LinkedIn. Oh, I guess I should like plug myself and Sarah and stuff. So I was going <laughs> to make sure you did that. No worries. Okay, cool. So if anybody wants to start, uh, with Sarah for free, they can head over to fera.ai, fera.ai, and you can sign up for free. Uh, we have a Shopify app, big commerce app, soon to launch a couple other platforms. So stay tuned for that. And then if you want to find me, you can find me on LinkedIn at Jamila Jan, and you can follow us on all the social medias at Fera Commerce. That's us. Awesome. Well, audience, I hope you hope had a had a good time with this one. I know I certainly did. Um, so your participation, as always, uh, means means a great deal to me. So for that, I say thank you. And uh, to my guest, uh, again, thank you for um, uh, for being the ray of sunshine that you are. And to everybody, just take care, and we'll check in soon. All the best. 
Thanks for listening. You might have found this show on many number of platforms. Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Play, Stitcher, or right here on Debutify. Whatever the case, if you enjoy this content and want to help us thrive, please take a few moments to leave a review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you think is best. We also want to hear from you, so whether you think you'd be a good guest or want to weigh in on anything related to our show, you can email podcast at debutify.com or connect with us on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and TikTok. Finally, this podcast is created by the passionate team at Debutify. If you're ready to take the plunge into e-commerce or are looking to up your game, head over to debutify.com and see how it can change your life and the lives of many through what you do next. <laughs>